had a couple of older gentlemen put us in our place for a little bit. Welcome, everybody, to the Halfway There cast. I'm Tyler. Yo soy Eric. We want to welcome you in today for our discussions on theology, pastor care, 80s hair metal, and everything under the sun. Hope all is well today, Eric. How are you doing, brother? Doing okay. Caught you off guard there with my worldly (laughs) languages, didn't I? You did. (laughs) You did. Oddly enough, my daughter is a sixth grader and taking Spanish for the first time. Start that a lot earlier now these days, don't they? Movie be in. Yeah, I did, don't know. Did it. you ever take it? I took Spanish one, and I think you got me a C in that class. Were we in there together? I, I remember I, taking it. Yeah, I think we were. I remember you being better than I was. Yeah, um, I was able to say, like, I could roll my R's, like, kind of yeah, like that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. We, we, can, we could roll the R's. Did we? Well, that may be something we were going to. We were looking forward to for our rock, rock stardom that we could roll ours. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't don't know about that. Yeah, I just thought last last episode introduced everybody to some Cantonese. Thought I would throw in a little Spanish today. <laughs> it was impressive. Definitely didn't Thank catch you. me off guard. Thank you. Oh man. Well, we have four topics today, and let's jump right in. We have an article here from Fox News. It's the articles about. Almost a month old, but relevant nonetheless. The Chinese Communist Party is rewriting the Bible. The gospel according to Chairman... How do you say his name? The Xi Jinping? Is it him? <laughs> it just says XI. I, I think that's like Xi. See, Xi? I'm already... I think it's you, like Xi Jinping. You spoke Spanish and now you're speaking Chinese. I probably need to quit while I'm ahead today. You do. You do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the gospel according to Chairman G, whatever, has Jesus turned killer and s- <laughs> wow, instead of forgiving sin. And what they're referencing in the Gospel of John, Jesus, you know, the text we even looked at a couple weeks ago, John eight, when Jesus confronts the adulterous woman. Instead of Jesus saying to her, go and sin no more, which, of course, is a beautiful story of forgiveness and mercy. And we even talked about how you treat sinners, compelling them to go sin no more. Instead of doing that, the Communist Party, the CCP, China, has rewritten John's gospel and ends that with no mercy but Jesus taking up stones himself and stoning the woman to death. Yeah, that's quite the change there. So apparently they have an issue with anybody bucking authority. So that text specifically, it's like, hey, she's not listening to authority. She's kind of being rebellious and doing her own thing. She needs to pay the consequences. So, yeah, the Chinese party have apparently taking a 10-year project here where they're going to go through the Bible and a few other religious texts and 
rewrite it to the word was cynicize. Did you see that word in that? Yeah, we will and, insist on. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we will insist on the cynicizing cynicization of Chinese religions and provide active guidance for religion and socialism to coexist. So basically what they're doing is rewriting the Bible and other sacred texts. I think the, the Quran was mentioned to better line up with communism. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now uh, again, it's been a 10 year project. And even it's odd, it says in this article, in a secret 2018 negotiation, the Vatican agreed to allow the CCP to select Catholic bishops in China, supposedly in exchange for vague reassurances of safety for some Catholic congregations, which were immediately abrogated. So <laughs> it's just a really bizarre story. How, it is. How the, the Chinese government has basically wants to get rid of the role of God in life and put the government or the leader um, in that in that position. Yeah. And what's our danger when we read articles like this? It, it's usually someone says, hey, look at that. Um, end times are coming. Look at what's happening to Scripture. But, and you and I talked about this a little bit previously, it's not quite the first time that anybody's tried to make scripture say what they wanted it to say. Oh, right. This, this has been happening ever since the scripture has existed that yep. people have been twisting and turning scripture to either appease the listener or to uh, keep themselves in some sort of power position to benefit themselves. And, and that's why, you know, one of the, overarching themes of our podcast and things we've talked about a whole lot is sola scriptura scripture alone mm -hmm. that our final authority always has to be the word of god and it's not something we can change it's not something we can really debate with because it is our absolute authority for all things pertaining to salvation and life yeah so from the very beginning the first one of the first things we see in scripture is when Satan talked to Eve and asks her, did God really say? So, yeah, this is what you say, he said, but did, did God really say that? And that has continued on. And now and all throughout history, people have tried to change parts, take out parts, add parts. And we do that to some degree. We'll talk about this maybe a little bit later. But when we say, you know, I, I feel like Scripture says this, or I feel like Scripture says that, or I think God would want me to do this thing or that thing. But as far as a full government taking this on, it's a, it's a big deal. But in a lot of ways, our government's kind of doing that, not in name, but in practice, trying to change a lot of definitions and the way that we think and values, morals, things like that. So the God's word has been under attack since the very beginning. Yeah, and even the Church of England did it. The Roman Catholicism did it. It's it's nothing new. Uh we shouldn't we sh really should not read articles like this and 
think, oh no, the time is near. We need to hoard up all of our supplies and and be ready for the end to come. That's That's not what this should do to us. This should actually reassure us of the truthfulness of Scripture. Jesus talks about how you know, we can expect to suffer. We can expect persecution. We should expect for his name to be maligned because it is a culture that is against Christ and against Christians and against the kingdom of God. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. If it was, I'm wanting to say Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. Was it Jefferson? That, yeah. That, that made yeah. his own Bible, took out all the miracles. Is that what yeah, you're thinking you, of? Yeah. You had the Jefferson Bible. He was a deist. And I would get went through the Bible and cut out all the sections where Jesus performed miracles. And so had his, you know, and and you can, you can buy Jefferson Bible today on Amazon. And that's, that's what it is. Hmm. A a deist way of viewing things, which means best illustration I've ever heard about was the watchmaker. A deist is believes like a watchmaker, that God's a watchmaker, that he kind of created everything. He wound up the watch and then he just let it go and to work yeah. and never, never was involved with it. So since he's never involved there, there can't be any miracles, things like that. Right. Yeah. So he, he did that. Mormons, they have their own additions to scripture. The Jehovah's witnesses have altered scripture to fit what the watchtower officially teaches. Uh, Roman Catholicism, as you mentioned earlier, they, they alter their teaching at least as far as they put the Pope and his authority above scripture. So right. whatever he says, if it contradicts with scripture, you go with what the Pope says. So it's happening all over the place in a lot of different sneaky ways, really. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the way Satan will work in the world is if he can dress something up as scripture and deceive people with it, then that's exactly what he do. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. So certainly he would take truth and twist it and turn it and make it something that it's not. And yeah. and there, there's another way that he does that, and maybe a way that we'll kind of laugh at a little bit, but it, it's, it's a real thing. And that's uh, our next topic, sayings that people think are in the Bible, but actually are not in the Bible. It's a good one. That is a good one. Rumor is you preached a whole sermon series on this. Well, <laughs> and for 1999, if you send that in, we can send you that and a blessed handkerchief with it. No, when I first got to the church that I'm at right now, on Sunday nights, we it would more so be a teaching time and time for questions and things. Not a preaching. I, right. It's It's... Less of a monologue and more of a dialogue, I, I guess, is what we there did. And one of the things I did early on was talk about this. I had a whole, and I could not find it. I've came across those notes for years, and of course, I looked for them for this and could not find it. But went through that and talked about some sayings that people thought were in Scripture and were not. And it was really eye-opening for a lot of people because so many things people have heard over the years thought it was Scripture thought it sounded like scripture, but it actually, actually wasn't. Uh, my daughter today, now that I think about it, she, um, had a, read a funny meme or something. I don't even know where she found it, but it was 
like the King James way of a wife asking for money from her husband. And it was mm-hmm. something like thou fairest wife whom thou takest pleasure in needeth something. And all this, I mean, it was wrote up like it would be in scripture, <laughs> yeah. uh, but of course isn't. And then yeah. a- another thing I saw the other day while, while my mind's firing here and I'm having all these memories, I saw a thing the other day, you know how artificial intelligence is becoming a big thing. Um, yeah. Somebody had asked one of those AI machines to write something that sounded like scripture, but wasn't scripture. And AI did a, a decent job of making it sound like it would be something that's in there, but it, it wasn't. So and it's just something we've got to be careful about. We do. And I, I can remember when I was in Bible college, my first year, Dr. DeClavon, he was my New Testament one teacher. Uh, when it came to the end of the semester, he said, I have one more test for you all. And it was, it was the old Christmas test things that sayings or it would ask questions like how many wise men or this or that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was all wrong. Everything that we think was wrong because we get so much of that stuff out of songs or Christmas yep. carols, but none of it's biblical. And yeah. it was just, it was an interesting project that he did with us there that kind of you made me remember that as you were talking about it there, but let's, yeah. uh, Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say one of the most important people in every Christmas play all across America is the innkeeper. And do you know what scripture the innkeeper's in? None. Innkeeper 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Second opinions, chapter 3. <laughs> Second opinions, chapter yeah, 3. Not, not in there. In- innkeeper's not in scripture. <laughs> I forget. But, and I, I'll start with one here. Okay. I was. Uh, I had been at the church for... I think two years and I was uh, told them I was going to preach through Jonah and it was going to be a four week sermon series, just do a chapter a week. And, and maybe I had preached the first sermon and one, an older gentleman met me at the door and he's, he's passed since then. Just, he was a good godly man and he kind of grabbed my hand and he said, well, was Jonah a well or a fish? Or maybe he didn't ask it. Maybe he just said, well, or fish. And I said, the language says a big fish. Yeah. And I think he thought it was a whale and he, you know, he didn't care, but he would, he would ask me that every week when he came to the door, he said, you changed your mind yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. <laughs> so he, he probably thought that you were getting off scripture a little bit yourself there because you right. might've said fish and not well. Yeah. You know? I read, I said big fish, but you know, it's like that. Any children's story, and that you know, Jonah's a popular children's story because of the, I guess you can cartoon up a big fish, I guess you could say. And you know, you make a whale and you call it a whale. The Bible doesn't say it's a whale, but that's that one's kind of minor. That one's kind of minor, right? Yeah, that one's not that big of a deal. I'll tell you one that was a big deal in my house. What's when my wife started spouting off that cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, oh, yeah. I had to set her straight and say, nope, that's not in the Bible. That's just a good opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's one a lot of people have heard for years that cleanliness is next to godliness, not in scripture. We need one of those sound effect things that every time we say one that's not in scripture, like doing or something. Well, that's all we're saying is the ones that aren't in scripture. Well, that's true. That's true. (laughs) It'll still be fun. 
Yeah, let's talk about some more of the serious ones there. Those that might affect someone's theology or maybe thought. Yeah, let me give one here that money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Scripture or not? No. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. Not uh, not scripture. Scripture uh, says money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah. And so, yeah, not the root of every single evil that that there is. First Timothy six ten, love yep. of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yep. Big there difference between those two statements. Big difference. And now, kind of what ends up happening is a lot of these things cause us to be a lot more superstitious in our faith than we should. Do you agree with that? I got one. Yep. I got one here. You find it. God works in mysterious ways. You hear that one all the time. <laughs> you hear it all the time. Yep. And you would almost think that's the first words in the Bible after God created the heavens and the earth and God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, it, I wonder where that one came from. I'm looking at an article here on Lifeway Research. He says it's more Bono than Bible. <laughs> I was thinking that you too. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. It's okay. Who's <laughs> in mysterious? Yeah, there that's exactly what was going through my yeah. head. That's Bono. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, I mean, but that's <laughs> and we don't like you too. Uh, oh man, and that that just kind of just shows us though the influence that those kind of things have on us, songs and yeah. sayings and things like that. They have such an influence on us that. Uh, well, more of an influence than scripture has often. Yeah. You actually see one? here that there's a hymn by William Cowper that was titled God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Oh, and I like Cowper. I don't know who Cowper he, is. Yeah, you do. He did. Uh, the. Oh, there's a fountain filled with blood. Oh, okay. I drawn, like him. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Yeah. And sinners plunged right. beneath. Yeah, yeah, that's what he wrote, wrote that. I don't know yeah. who wrote stuff as far as songs. I'm not good at that. Well, I can do some of them. I don't that's know a lot good. Of them, yeah. As far as hymns, I guess. I mean, if it's 80s, yeah. which is sad. Yeah. If it's 80s yeah. hair metal, I could probably tell you. Right, right. What about this one? Tell me if this is in the Bible. Love the sinner, hate the sin. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and that's that's a huge... That's a huge misconception. Yeah, you hear that a lot, especially modern day. That's all over the place. Yeah. Here's another one along those same lines. Be in the world, but not of the world. Hmm. Now, wh what's the root of that one there? Let me look here. Jesus, Jesus okay. says something similar to that. Yeah, well, that's what they're saying, that... that People will think this is an exact quote from the Sermon on the Mount or another verse, but it's not there. Parts of the sediment are, however, expressed in various places in scriptures. John 15, 19, John 17, 14. Yeah, it's the high, priest, the high priestly prayer. Mm -hmm. He says you're in the world, but you're not of the world. But he doesn't tell us to be in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense? In his prayer yeah. to the Father, I think he acknowledges that's where we are, but never tells us to be in the world but not of it because we could, we would misunderstand what he was meaning yeah. by that. That's uh -huh. a slight change, but makes a big difference. It does. It does. Um, here's one that, um, 
This too shall pass. Mm, how yeah. how often have you heard that one? A lot, a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's another. Again, that's another one of those Christianish sayings that we will say to people when they are suffering or when they are in a situation. But that kind of flies in the face to what the Apostle Paul was experienced with the thorn in the flesh. Yeah, God did not tell him this too will. F- the stool pass, but he says, my grace is sufficient for the day. Right. Yeah. Let's do Every one time more I hear that one, I think of Gandalf from, um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Yeah. This, yeah. That's when he, yeah. Oh, you shall not, shall pass. not pass. Yeah. Hey, you did good pretty scene. good Gandalf there. Well, I did because I had my pen in my hand and I was spiking it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's get one more here because God helps those who help themselves. Classic. That's, that's an anti-gospel statement. It is. That, that is the exact opposite of the gospel. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And when we say it all the time, we will sit in churches and we'll see someone in a bad situation. And that's exactly what we'll say that God helps those who help their selves. Yeah. And I think uh, that one's one that comes from Thomas Jefferson for the most part as well. Well, um, no, it's from, the other guy, Benjamin Franklin. Man, Benjamin Franklin. Those guys. Poor, that was in Poor Richard's Almanac. Okay. And you you got to set me straight tonight with that. Well, I've got, art, I've got an article. That's one I, I've heard so much, but you're right. Romans 5, 8. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing about us doing it, nothing we can do to help ourselves. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. The Quran, the Quran has something very similar to that. Uh, Quran thirteen eleven. God helps those who help themselves, but it is a works based religion. It's a works based yeah. righteousness. That's true. It's, it's interesting. All right. Let's, I do let's, have one more. I go, want to let's give. let's hear it. Let's hear and it. And you hinted at this earlier, but how many wise men were there? There were several. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> more than but, two. Two or more, at least, yeah. Yeah. But again, with the Christmas plays, I mean, we it's always but three wise men. Three wise men is all we're allowed to have, yeah. Scripture not, does not I think, say. Here, here's what I think you need to do. What's that? This year in the Christmas program at Moreland First Baptist Church, you need to walk 100 wise men down the aisle. <laughs> And no innkeepers. <laughs> no innkeepers. Yep. Hundred wise men, no innkeepers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. So right. the point is, be careful about what you careful. accept. Accept the scripture. Search the scripture for yourself. There. Yeah, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to help with that in our last segment, but we've got to talk about something else next. Uh, there's a worldwide craze going on. A worldwide craze. It's called pickleball. It's a funny name. It's a funny name. <laughs> I don't understand. Where did it come from? It's just like one day I woke up and there's pickleball I, okay. on TV. I think I think it was okay. Here's what I think, and I I don't know this. We'll we'll say this is just Tyler's interpretation of what happened. That you had some older some tennis players that got old and couldn't run the court anymore, so they shrunk the court, mm-hmm. and they basically pe- played tennis with a wiffle ball and a paddle now why they called it pickleball i have no idea <laughs> yeah it's quite the pickle so <laughs> actually so, 
You know what? I read a little bit of the history behind pickleball. Yeah. And because I know everyone wants to know. I know they're dying. In, in the nineteen sixties, there were three dads and they formed this game for their kids who you know, they had kids and they were bored with everything else. You know, those kids those kinds of kids. And so they kinda tried to come up with a new game and those were the beginnings, the early beginnings of pickleball. Okay. Well there you go. That makes sense. Did they play it with a pickle? Is that why they called it pickleball? I have no idea why it's called pickleball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did not come across that in the history. But the question that we posed would be was, would we be good at pickleball? Now, we we were, at one time in our lives, we were athletic. We could play f- football. We could slam dunk on the basketball, go on your yard. We were Little League baseball players. We We were athletic guys. Yes. But there is some things that people don't know about us is we were <laughs> I just had a thought we played a lot of ping pong <laughs> and we played a lot of racquetball yes we did about what age did we get into those things well here's what happened <laughs> uh, when I was 12 I just I remembered this tonight that I went to Random memory here. I went to an independent fundamentalist Baptist church youth camp one summer. Did you really? Yes, I did. And I won the, the uh, ping pong tournament. Still have, still have the trophy at my mom's house. Wow. Um, that, that's the first time I had the inkling that, Hey, I may be good with the paddle and the ball. <laughs> and then you and I started playing in, in high school, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, I think so. We played some pool and things when we were a little bit yeah, younger, but but as but far that, as ping pong, it was later on. But oddly enough, we had a passion for it. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of money on on paddles. We would buy the. I just still don't understand how we had money all the time. But we. It's <laughs> a, a good question. I don't we know. would buy like the expensive paddles with all the padding, so we could swerve the ball and curve yeah. the ball. But we did we enter a tournament once? Oh, down at the Rocky Hollow. Yeah, there was a turn. Did it happen? I don't remember what happened. I Maybe can't remember we what got happened either. Beat and we. I put it do out you, my memory. Do you remember the guy that was so good down there? What his name was? Bill. Bill Shadowin. Yes. Yeah, he is that who you're demol- thinking of? Yeah, he would demolish us. He would until he didn't. Yeah. And we got better. I remember yeah. beating him one night and he, now this is, you know, Tyler and I, we were, we were just young, helpless kids, you know, 16, 17, 18. And this guy was probably, probably in his thirties at least. Oh, forties. Forties. Yeah. Ping pong master. And you and I worked, we were like Rocky and like from Rocky forward training. We were, and we were wanting to beat him. And I remember beating him one day and he, threw his paddle down and maybe <laughs> yeah had some expletives and things like that but that that was that was the day he was dethroned and then you, you and i we just kept going we had some memorable ping pong I, I, did we not have to eventually take the pink get the ping pong table because you worked there yeah we got the ping pong table moved to the bigger room so we because we were like forced to up we were back off the table just Slamming yeah. it back and forth. We yeah, and, we we could do it. And we could spin it and we could curve it and we could 
we could do it all. But then that transitioned into something else and maybe something we loved and were more passionate about. Well, yeah, I think we could have possibly gone, gone pro in this racquetball racquetball. And so here in town where we lived, they opened up some racquetball courts and did you work up there too? Is that why? Yeah, I did. (laughs) So I had access to that. And so I could play all the time. We probably didn't pay. Probably not. Probably not. But but we had access to one of the three racquetball courts and we absolute, I think we played every day for a a long span. Now, I don't know if our listeners have ever played racquetball or not. It's a strenuous sport. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever sweated so much than when we were in the old racquetball court. Yeah, it's it's a combination of power and speed and agility, nimbleness. And I mean, you had you had to have it all. Yeah. Uh, but, but we first, when we first tried to transition from ping pong to racquetball, had a couple of older gentlemen put us in our place for a little bit. We'll call them old timers, Alfred and yeah. Don Martin. Man, they were, <laughs> I, were you, they were definitely sixties, maybe around seventy. It is unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. They would take us in there. They, Alfred, would talk trash to us the whole time, and we actually built a good friendship. With yeah, we did. We, we earned their respect. We did. We did, and they would run us all over those courts. Yeah, uh, it was a fun time, but you know. It was a little dangerous in the racquetball court too, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could you could do some damage there. Yeah, the one of the worst things would be when so the court is kind of longer than it is wider and basically the two people are in there just hitting off the one wall and sometimes one would be behind the other and taking a hit, maybe a forehand and the ball would hit the other in the back or in the back of the head or sometimes in the face and it would leave a nasty little welt it would you had to wear safety goggles to even be in there if i remember correctly yeah you did and the best i remember didn't don martin have like safety goggles where like the eyeballs were cut out of it something weird (laughs) maybe so i I don't remember for sure but that seems about right but we we had a great time doing that and just really we really excelled yeah, we. Uh, I, I don't know where it got us in life, but but we were pretty good at, at racquetball. Yeah. I would still like to play today. I, I would too. You know, it's a funny thing. Again, we talked about my impulsiveness in spending as when I was younger, before I was a Christian. I have still in my basement. I think it was a hundred and twenty dollar racquetball racket that I only used like three times. Like bought it, then we just quit playing. Hmm. Probably should sell that. Yeah. We may have to yeah. may have to play a I mean, old timers d- game someday. Dust off the old racket, yeah, <laughs> get it out there. But I, you know, it was fun, and I think because we were good at ping pong, we were good at racquetball. We clearly have some sort of ability with a racket and a ball. I think we would be good at pickleball. Well, I think from what I understand with pickleball. It looks like tennis and ping pong combined. It's like you're standing almost on top of a ping pong table. I mean, it's bigger than that, but it's, I mean, it's really, it's a really condensed court. Yeah. 
and we could probably do something. I don't think you have to move a whole lot. Here it is. Open challenge. Well, who, who wants some? <laughs> we'll go get us some paddles and a ball. We'll we'll bring it. <laughs> well, everything's turning into pickleballs now. Like I noticed that our like up here where I live, the local tennis court they're 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 redoing the court, restriping it so it'll include the pickleball stuff. So like it's yeah. everywhere now. It's on it ESPN. We're gonna have to play. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna have to play. We're gonna have to get involved. Yep. I, I think that would be fun to do. There was a racquetball tournament too. I remember it was a it was a triangle racquetball oh, tournament. Oh no, not a triangle. It was a ladder, wasn't it? A and ladder you had to tournament. Yeah, you, you had to beat the person in front of you. Yeah, or, or ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I got that good guy, uh, Doctor Rutledge, here in town. I think he was ahead of me, and he he beat me bad. I forgot bad. about him. Yeah. There was like two or three guys that did the racquetball that were like really good. Yeah. And we never got to that level, but we did okay. And all of our friends played racquetball too, didn't they? Didn't Scott know. play? I think Scott played. And then Nykirk played because he was a tennis guy. Yeah. He's like, he still plays tennis. Yeah. Like he's like 80 years old now and he still plays tennis. I hope he don't hear his challenge about the pickleball. He'll probably take us out there and beat <laughs> us to death. Uh, Goodness gracious. Oh, man. All right. A lot of fun, but let's get serious. <laughs> Dunno. Speak, um, speaking of pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of pickleball. So we've, we've touched on, and not touched on, but we've used the term, I think, in our last two or three podcasts, expository preaching. And every time we say it during the podcast, because we're so professional, we say hmm, we need to do a podcast on that one, so maybe we're we're really just baiting our listeners because we know they want to hear about expository preaching. Sounds uh, but we, painful. Yeah, it does. So we want to we do want to spend some time doing that. Just talk about what that is and what it is not, because I've had people ask me about it and they thought it was something it wasn't. So we're going to spend some time doing that, and we both. Right, we both agree that expository preaching is the best way. Yes, that correct. Okay, I, th- I was pretty sure we were on the same page on that. Just want to double check. And so let's let's just spend the rest of our time talking about that. You like I like for you to give our definitions. So give us a definition of expository preaching. Just a, a basic, brief definition for the listener. Okay, here's what I've narrowed it down to over the years with the help of, of course. You know, reading others and seeing what they think about it. But the most basic definition of expository preaching is simply this. The point of your passage that you preach is the point of the text. So whatever portion of Scripture you preach, whether you preach a verse, whether you preach a, a chapter, some cases maybe you preach a whole book in a night maybe it could be one of the minor prophets it could be something else whatever passage you preach the main point of that passage has to be the main point of your preaching so it's that's the definition god's word drives what you say in the pulpit that's the most basic way i can word it yeah that's good i like that so 
I guess what we're going to do here, and it kind of hit me as you were giving that definition, is we're we're both preachers. We work on sermons every week. We we're different in how we do that. We've talked about it, and I, I don't know that two preachers are exactly the same. I'm not the same as when I started. When I started, I would spend a lot more time on it, just because you know I didn't really have it down yet. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm lazy now, but it's just after years, you kind of figure out what's best for you. Yeah. But we're going to kind of let people behind the scenes a little bit, I guess, aren't we? Kind of let them into the kitchen to see how the hamburger's made. <laughs> <laughs> Come on into the kitchen, folks. See how this hamburger's made. <laughs> I was debating whether to say hamburger the whole time, and I just went with it. Uh <laughs> That, that anyway. is one of the most Baptist things I've ever heard you say. Anyway, life. anyway, <laughs> anyway. So that's what we want to. Do. That's what we want to do. Does expository preaching? Let, let's talk about what it's not. So I, let me tell you a little experience I had. I went to a small town in Tennessee, and uh, to a First Baptist church. I can't remember the town. It was between Crossville and. Oh, I don't remember the other town. Cookville. It was right between them. So Crossville's in a valley. Cookville's in a valley. It was on top of a hill, uh, right in the middle of them. It was a very small town. They was First Baptist Church in town. They called me to come preach for their open pastoring position. This was well before I was at Cedar Point. And so I preached my morning sermon. It was an exposition of a text. and Got back in the interview, and I had planned to, so I was doing a morning and an evening. And so in the evening, I was going to preach from Psalm 42, which was going to be an exposition of that text as well. And I wait a minute. I had preached both, and they were interviewing me after the evening service. That's what it was. So we sat down, and we began to talk, and I kind of just laid out. or They had my resume, and it said on there, I preach expositionally. And so one of the guys said, I don't like that. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I said, I, I generally, when someone asks, says that or something to me, I'll, I'll, I'm curious why. And I'll yeah. say, I said, why, why, what's your reasoning? And he said, the last thing I want is someone just getting up and giving a teaching a class every Sunday. Yeah. And, and so I said, well, that's not what that is. <laughs> and I said, what did you think about my sermons? And he said, well, I didn't mind your sermons. I said, well, that was an exposition of a text. <laughs> and, but, but I think when we begin to say that, when we say expository preaching, the first thing that people's minds go to is great. I'm getting ready to hear a lecture. Yep. And it is. Yeah. And people maybe would think boring, you know, it's not the exciting preaching, like where the people, jump around and spit and holler and all that stuff. It's just the boring stand behind a pulpit monotone. Here's what it is. No excitement at all kind of a thing. And I don't really know where that's come from, but that is the kind of the straw man argument that a lot of people tend to lean towards as far as thinking what that is. Well, I have a hunch of where it comes from. Where do you think and it is? I, I think it, I think it comes from, revivalism yeah you're, you're I, th I, right. I think it comes yeah. from a revivalistic culture that that's what the that's what itching ears wants is that type of preaching that kind of excitement that kind of god spoke to me and said this to me this morning or right before i got into the pulpit and 
yeah here we go i've i've been in a church and i'm not joking i've been in a church and the preacher got up and he said i just saw my daughter or my granddaughter walk down the aisle and go to the bathroom and it put a thought in my head and that's what i'm going to preach mm. <laughs> i mean wow <laughs> yeah that's um and that's what people do a lot of times is they just wing it and try to spiritualize everything. And it it's somehow people think there's this extra authority that comes if a preacher gets a word from the Lord, whether mm-hmm. it be from seeing somebody go to the bathroom or having a dream or whatever. It seems like, hey, if you get that, and you've got extra authority, and we really want to hear what God has to say yeah. through you, but that's a, that's a very skewed view on things. Yeah, let me systemize that a little bit for us. That's exactly what the Communist Party in China is trying to do by changing yes. the Bible. That's exactly what happens when we hear these spiritual sayings and we act like they're biblical. Yep. We're adding authority where there is no authority. All right. So... You and I and many other people believe the best way to preach is to preach expositorily. So that's a lot to get out of my mouth. We believe that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And so, so does that have to be now? I believe it's the best practice, but does that have to be book by book, verse by verse? Well, one preacher that you and I both know, we had this conversation and that's the way he took it. Um, his thought was it has to be, you start in a book and you have to go inch by inch all the way through, or it's not expository. And I remember telling him, no, I mean, you can do that, but the main thing is you've got to make the point of your sermon, the point of the text. And he didn't necessarily agree with that. He thinks, you know, Every single word, every single background analysis for for everything. Um, I think I've heard that kind of preaching before called running commentary yeah. is is what that is. It's just almost like you're reading a commentary right. straight down the page. And so maybe it would be helpful to kind of contrast it with a few other styles. So there's the running commentary. There's topical preaching where someone says, okay, today I want to preach about love. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they go find a few scriptures that talk about love and, yeah. and yeah. kind of make their own sermon. Or today I'm going to talk about second coming of Jesus, and they'll go and try to find every scripture that they can find to support that. So mm-hmm. it's not that. Expository preaching always has a topic, but the topic comes after you exposit Whereas topical preaching is you start with it and say, here's what I want to talk about. And then you find stuff that supports what you want to say. Mm -hmm. So the work of the preacher then is to, as you're reading, studying, dissecting the text, doing all that work of context and language and, and whatever you do, your job is to find the point of the text. Yeah. And then preach the point of the text. Not not how the text speaks to us. Right. And I think that's been that's been a a a folly for many preachers and many people even just reading the Bible is we have to understand 
that as Paul wrote Galatians, there is a specific meaning that he had to that book, through that text, to the people in the church of Galatia. Yep. And so what we have to do then, and here's the work of the pastor, the preacher, is we have to figure that out. And I, old pastor that mentored me a little bit said he learned in Bible school that what you kind of got to do is take that and bring it across the bridge to us today and then figure out how to apply that, the application, the implications of that text to us today. And that's ultimately what we're doing, figuring out what the Bible says, what it means, and then bring it into today's time. Yeah, and so many people approach Scripture with this devotional mentality, like you said, as far as what does this mean to me? And Southern Baptists are as guilty as anybody of doing that and kind of promoting that, having your quiet time and asking, well, what does this, not asking what does it mean, but what does it mean to me, and trying to get your own kind of thing out of that. And maybe more than any other text, if you think about it with David and Goliath, and how often is that overused? People read that and will say they'll either say, "Well, you know, there's giants in my life, and I have to slay them," or David, he all he had was a stone, and he had great faith, and all this stuff, and that's how I need to be today. Well, no, that's not the point of it at all. The point of it is David was the champion of the people, and he's a picture of Jesus, who is our champion. Jesus is the one who fights the battle for us. We're not David. We're not Goliath. What are the people on the on the sideline watching who are too scared to get in the battle? Jesus did it for us. But so many people take that and they want to put themselves in the story and make it about them and make it me-centered. Bible's not a me book. It's a, it's a Jesus book. Yeah. And another one I thought of when you were talking about that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, man. And, and I mean, I sometimes want to look at people and I, I just say, well, jump out that window and see if he gives you strength to fly. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's being a little mean, but that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul Every Christian talking... athlete, that's, <laughs> I, I mean, that's like the calling. of I know. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's it. And I mean, but Paul's talking about contentment, being content in Christ and in every situation, whether he's hungry or thirsty or has plenty or has nothing. He can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah. Uh, that's a completely different meaning than spiritualizing that and making it. But but you hear sermons like that, and that's the yeah. point. You hear sermons about those texts, the David and Goliath text, the Philippians text, where they're used to empower us with more uh, thinking of ourselves a lot better than we really are. Yeah, and it becomes me-centered. And yeah. the reason that I think expository preaching, and sometimes we'll say expository or expositional, we're talking about the same thing, but mm -hmm. the reason that's the superior way to preach is because it's the only way of preaching where the preacher doesn't start the process with what he's going to say already in mind. Every other way of preaching, the preacher decides what he wants to say and then tries to figure out ways to tie Scripture into it. 
Whereas when you preach something expositionally and you're doing the work to determine the meaning, you're going into it basically saying, I don't know what this says. And if I've known before, I want to make sure that's what it is. And you dig into it and you pull the meaning out, which is what exposition is. It's, it's a bringing out. It's a pulling out that main point. And whatever it says, that's what we're going to say in the pulpit. We don't need to make up our own stuff and our own, you know, fancy sermon series and things like that. Just preach what scripture says. It's there for you. You just got to dig for it. Right. And uh, the, the the practice that I use is I preach through books. I preach. So I'm in the gospel of John right now. You made fun of me a couple of weeks ago when it hurt my feelings. You've been really there. Bad. I, I'm sorry, but you've been there for 37 years. And so we're in it a year and a half now. I think it's a year and a half now. And, and but because you know when I was praying about coming into that book, what I wanted and my intention was that we need to dig in and we just need to see Jesus for who He is. And so. John's gospel, that's that's what it does. It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what yeah. the gospel is. And so we want, and even John wrote that inspired by the Spirit with the intention of the reader hearing who Jesus is. And I think we can, I don't think we're giving our people a, a healthy diet of the Word of God when we're bouncing all over the place. Right. My practice I try to go back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. I think I read Mark Dever did that or something years ago, and I've just always I've tried to go back and forth with that. So I'm in Romans right now, and I'm going through that in a slower way and plan to spend at least a year in that, if not longer. Before that, I was in Jonah, if I remember correctly, and preached through that, and before that, Hebrew, so I I go back and forth, Mm -hmm. but there are times, and I even mentioned it this morning in my sermon, we need to balance as far as knowing the overarching theme, Mm -hmm. and we also need to be able to dig in and spend, spend good time in Scripture, so we need to know both. So one thing I did today, we started in Romans chapter 7, I went back and kind of covered Romans 1 through 6 in a brief way to kind of give us a flyby mm-hmm. overview so we would remember the the point so uh, far and then I dug into chapter 7. So that's just that's kind of how how I approach it, but I don't always well I almost always go through books. Sometimes I go through chunks of scripture, maybe the sermon on the mount for the yeah, for example. Yeah. I'll do that and not the whole book of Matthew. Sometimes I've done the book of Exodus until the people get out of Egypt. You know, I've done, yeah. taken portions like that. But whatever you do, the main thing is, are you saying what God has said? Right. And and I'm, I'm the same way. Last month, actually, we took a month break from John and went back to the, and again, it was, it wasn't topical, but we went back to the Old Testament, looked at the covenants through the Old Testament. And again, giving that big picture, that overarching picture, building a biblical theology. Back at the first, for the month of January, we spent that month talking about church membership. So I think a lot of it is 
you have to understand your, as a pastor, you got to understand your people. You got to, you got to know if, and even know for yourself, if you're getting drugged down by a book, because that can happen, especially where I've been through John and John for so long that summer break, there were some other reasons I did that. But a part of that was I was kind of getting drugged down in it a lot because chapter six, seven, and eight, and beginning with nine are kind of all talking about the same thing every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and sometimes you just need to pull your people away from that. But I think always good to be faithful to come back to it and finish. So, you know, but there, there's different ways of doing it and everyone is a little different. I'm kind of like you, I try to, I'm more of a, instead of bouncing New Testament, Old Testament, I try to mix up the genres a little bit. You know, if I'm doing, like I'm doing John a narrative now, I'll probably, after I get done with John, which it's going to be a while, I'll probably do some epistles Mm -hmm. just to kind of break up the the story to this is what you need to do. And I'll do, I'll do some short ones that I can get done in a a month or so, kind of like that. Yeah, um, that's a good way to, to do it. Yeah, just kind of break that up that way. Because what is your favorite? And this is a little off topic, but this is just this is just preacher talk here. So everybody's getting a little preacher talk. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite genre to preach? I guess as a preacher, for me, the the letters, the epistles, and the New Testament they seem like they're the easiest for me sometimes because yeah. there's just so much depth to them and sometimes it's hard or i found it harder maybe when i'm in the old testament and i'm preaching through i i don't know something out of first kings or or something (laughs) and 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 there's stuff there but sometimes it i really got to work to know what i need to say right right whereas if i'm in first peter if i'm in romans you open the bible it almost just falls Mm -hmm. out for you like oh there it is yeah and so you know i enjoy preaching all of it but i'd say the epistles are probably my best what about that's that's me too i I love preaching an epistle it's like it's just teed up for you yeah uh you know it's you can find the sections where it's you know theology exhortation or command exhortation and it's just in line I I like preaching everything. My least favorite is a narrative. And I'm preaching right now, John, the gospel of John, a narrative and the book of Acts on Sunday night, a narrative. And and it's just like you said, it's kind of hard to go through that narrative and then try to pull out what you need to pull out of it uh, because it is it's a story and you got to do a little more work. But okay, give me. Why is this so important? And I know we've said it's important, you know, because of the Bible and we need the people to hear the Bible, what the Bible says, but, but just, just for a congregation, because this is, I mean, this is a term that most people sitting in a pew don't even know exist. Right. But, but why is it important for a congregation to be under a diet of expository preaching? Well, there are a few reasons. One is, if that's the kind of preaching you are getting, then you are getting the word of God. You're not hearing the preacher's opinion. Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want to talk about. Here's here's my hobby horse for this month that I kind of want to talk about. Or here's how I can incorporate the political events of today into this or whatever. You're not getting that. You're getting what God's word says. And 
we've contrasted that a little bit already about how other ways you're not always getting God's word. People may be reading something from the Bible. The preacher may get up and read a scripture and then go off and talk about what he wants to talk about. But you need to hear God's word as it's presented in scripture. So that's one. You're making sure that you're getting God's word. And the other thing, the other reason I think it's important for people in the pew to hear it is is it teaches you how to read God's word at home. So if you have a pastor who is each and every week doing this and going through scripture and doing like you're doing it in John and just showing the people, here's how to break it down. Here's how I get the meaning out of this. If they are under that each and every week, when they do their Bible reading at home, they're going to better know how to do that for themselves. And and that's really important. And we've, you know, like you said, this is preacher talk. And some people, if you're still listening, you're probably thinking, why do I need to know about this? Well, this is not just for you to hear. This is for you to also know how to get God's word out of out of his word and know know what he's saying. So I think those are the two big things with that. Yeah. Let me give you an example. And so I'm in John. I'm in John 8. And this morning was verses 39 through uh, 47 when Jesus tells the Pharisees that their father is the devil. Kind of the, the big climax that he does that. But here's what was, here's what I found interesting about this text. And and if you didn't preach book by book through a book, you would never get this. Everything that he is saying in 39 through 47 hinges on what he has already said in 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I went too far. What he says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And so we get down to this text, and here's here's the bad thing we have. We have these these awesome Bibles now that give us headings yeah. over sections of Scripture. <laughs> so in our mind, we divide those things, mm-hmm. and so it's almost we've we've taken these headings and we've made them the authority and the inerrant. But that's not true. Those are man made things that we've put there. I had a whole conversation with a guy after church tonight about the words of Jesus being in red in the Bible. Another thing I just mm-hmm. don't care for, yeah. but nonetheless but but if if we're not working through a book with the people they're never going to understand that right they're never going to understand that as jesus is having this conversation about abraham being their father or satan being their father and god being his father that he's ultimately talking about if you're abiding in my word you will you are my disciple yeah and it's just you really can see when when people preach expositorily, you really can begin to see the beauty, the clarity of Scripture. Mm-hmm. How that it all molds together in just this beautiful tapestry that ultimately reveals to us our Savior. Yes, and that's the other key ingredient to expository preaching is... It always points people to Christ because not just the words that are in red are about Christ, but literally the whole Bible from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation, everything uh, points points to Christ, either to he, he's coming, 
he's here or he's coming again or because he came, this is what's true of our life. He even said that about himself at the end of Luke, that, you know, the whole Old Testament prophets and all that, it all points to him. So that's a big part of it. We've got to show people Jesus in every scripture. And you're right. And going through it helps us with that. Um, Another thing I had a thought of, a preacher that I was under years ago, he talked about how when you go through books, you go through sections, the reason you preach the next thing you preach is because it's the next thing. And so people can't get up there and say, oh, you were preaching to me this morning or you just said this because I'm in the pew. Well, no, this was... You know, I planned this three months ago that this is what I was going to preach kind of a thing. So it's it's just completely depends on God's word and every aspect depends upon him and, and his authority. And it takes the preacher out of it as much as possible as far as what he thinks. Right. And the last thing that I want as a preacher is for someone to leave hearing me preach and think that, well, Tyler told us his opinion today. What I want someone to leave from hearing me preach is that's what the Bible says. Yep. And I don't think, I'm convinced that there's no better way to do that than to preach expositionally. That's what shows us what God has said. And when I came to your church and preached earlier this year, that scripture out of Nehemiah chapter 8 and how it stood up and they they just read God's word and there were people in the crowd that would help the people understand. It says they would help give them the sense. And it's all saying, here's what God has said. Here's what scripture says. This is what my sermon is going to say. And I've, I've said before, if you can't preach your sermon in one sentence, you probably don't know your sermon well enough. So we can say, and I do this often when I preach, this is my main point of the text. Yeah. I try to put it in a succinct way. Here's what God's word is saying here. Here's the main point. Now let's go through this and explain it and help you understand what God has already said. You better not, my people at the church better not hear you say that because they're going to expect me just to get up and say a sentence and sit back down instead of my 45-minute sermon. Well, here's what happened. Years ago, when I first got into preaching, I read reading or I don't know if I read or if I heard, but it was John MacArthur. And he said, you cannot properly exposit a text under, I think he said 50 minutes and I, and I it's 45 or 50. He's like, there's no way you can properly do it. And I remember saying that to the preacher that I was under about the length of my sermon and things. And he gave me a good piece of advice that day. He looked at me and he said, well, you're not John MacArthur. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) John MacArthur can do that. Um, Maybe I don't need to always be preaching 45 or 50 minutes, uh, but neither am I going to preach just a a minute. And if we did just read Scripture, Scripture is sufficient, but our job as pastors is to 
preach the word, explain it, apply it, and and trust God uh, that his word won't return unto him void. Thanks for listening to the Halfway There cast. Make sure to listen to us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. And don't forget to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Halfway There PC. And find us on Facebook. Give us a like.